I'm Amy Carson, and this is The Balance, understanding nonprofit finance. In today's episode, Don Wisenin joins me to discuss how to effectively communicate financial information. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of The Balance. Our guest today is Don Wisenin. Don is the founder and president of Communication Upward. Welcome, Don. Hi, Amy. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to talking today. You too. Don, can you talk to us a little bit about who you are, what you do? Sure. So in one life I have, I'm a professor of communication at City University of New York, but uh, I also started a company called Communication Upward. We do leadership communication training and workshops, really helping people who have complex information, data, difficult to present types of information, get that across to key audiences. The chief task is really translation and making presentations and pitches as good as they can be. Thank you. And can, so can you talk maybe or give us some examples of, you know, how how this is done and where you've really your clients or your students even have seen an impact from engaging in this type of work? Sure. So I, I find that a lot of companies and nonprofits put a lot of attention sometimes into the research, into the numbers. And then when it comes to actually enlivening that information for people, really getting to the core information, you know, say two things, don't say 10 is one of the things you'll you'll hear me talk about quite a bit and how to do that. Not as much investment is put on that end, right? And what we see over and over, I have students come back to me over the years and saying, wow, uh, we beat out, we had an RFP and we beat out 10 other submissions on that RFP because our presentation just wowed the audience. You know, the others were just filled with bullet points. They lost people and ours really brought the subject to life. We had context before we had content. So people really built an appetite for what we're doing. I've had folks talk about policy changes created as a result of really putting significant effort into their presentations and pitches, all kind, you know, whether it's something on the climate crisis, you know, which can get very complex and technical fast or, you know, rates of recidivism in the criminal justice system or whatever it is that's being presented on. uh, We talk about how to actually make it real for people. And uh, one of the ways I like to think about this, and this isn't my thing, but there's something called the ladder of abstraction, which says that really great communication takes place on two levels, right? One is on the ground in scenes. You want to bring people into scenes because that's where we live our lives. Right now, we're in a scene together here. I can see you in your living room. I'm in my living room, right? Uh, We're in scenes and that's where our brains tend to go with communication. And we also want to join scenes with high level, meaningful information that helps make sense of what's going on, right? We want to avoid, and what a lot of nonprofits, businesses, and others do is they go for that tepid middle ladder of abstraction, right? So if you've ever been to a PTA meeting where you hear people talking about instructional units and you come to realize, oh, they're talking about teachers like Mr. Johnson, the PET, you know, you go, tell me about who are you talking about here? That tepid middle level, level of abstraction, unfortunately, is where a lot of professional communication takes place. It's neither scenic nor meaningful. And so one of our biggest goals is to get people into those realms with their communication. That makes a ton of sense. So you're saying that effectively to personalize it, to make it as personal and understandable and relatable as possible, if I'm hearing you. That's right. Bring it bring it down to the ground. Bring it down to the ground, but also don't just stay there. Also connect it with high-level concepts, make meaning for people. That's what people thirst for when they're listening to a presentation or pitch. I love this. This is all very relatable. Don, as you know, and as we've discussed, I run an outsourced accounting 
and finance firm and our job is not personal or relatable or understandable very frequently. And I think it's very, very hard for accountants and financial professionals to effectively communicate information to key stakeholders that are not accounting and financial professionals. And I'm curious if you've seen this in your career or... Yes, a lot. This is this is really the number one thing that we deal with. And and by the way, another layer on this is just doing this via Zoom and online versus in person. I don't know if any anybody listening has had this experience. I had it this year. I've got colleagues who've had it where we're going back to a lot of in-person things as well and going, oh, these are two different time zones. <laughs> Zoom is a different time zone yeah. than in person. And you suddenly realize, oh, for Zoom, it needs to be more immediate you need to every four minutes or, you know, something like that, be changing it up to something new. The pace is much different. And then in person, it needs to be much more, more breathing room. You've got that space that you don't have via these other formats, but directly to this question, which is affected by that is I see a lot of challenges right now around these online offline differences. I see that people often just don't have a process this. That's one of the biggest things. They don't have an A to Z. I say, what is it you're going to do? What's your map? What's your plan for this presentation? And they go, well, I'll just put the slides together and say, no, 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 make that the last thing you do, right? We need to do some actual thinking and planning behind this, maybe a little bit of storyboarding and develop. This is really uh, at the core of what we do as an organization, helping people, people really struggle between structure and spontaneity as well, right? What you want to do is you want to have enough structure that it's well put together. It makes sense. It's coherent, but not so much where you're script bound and you miss, you're going to miss that human element because you're reading it or you've met, you're memorized it and you're in your head. So we can talk in a little bit about further challenges with that. There's a lot of things connected to that, but I find a lot of it is like, what's your relationship with predictability? Yeah. If you're good at structuring something and then you're ready to let go and be, be okay with what's going to happen in the situation, whether it's on Zoom or in person, that's going to be a much more enlivening presentation or pitch than otherwise. Uh, you know, people just pick up on, oh, you're reading, we can tell, we're going to check out now. And I, I still see a lot of that. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's so funny that you're saying this. I was just before this call, I was on the phone with my husband who's out in California right now. He's actually meeting, his whole team is in California and he's meeting them in person for the first time. And their first comment to him was, oh my gosh, you're so much taller than we thought you were. Which I always <laughs> just think is so funny. So that's also the initial shock. But to your point about this, there's like a level of relaxation and there's a level of comfort that comes with uh, being in person versus over Zoom. And he was like, I just sat and talked to people and it was we got so much, it might've taken longer, but the yeah. conversations were so much more effective and we had breathing room and all of these things, which I definitely think we're missing in our business relationships right now. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a real thing and it's, it makes so much sense. If you're not connecting with the audience in some way, the question is, what are you doing? What is this? Why are you even doing this? Right? Yeah. Uh, I remember I, I saw years ago, I used to watch stand-up comedians in training at the comedy store in Los Angeles. That's cool. So when I was learning about it, trying to do communication training, learning about all this stuff. And I remember one stand-up comedian had the whole, his whole routine going and uh, one waiter tripped and a beer bottle fell over and smashed on the ground. 
And everybody's attention was there at that moment, right? You could hear, yeah. you could see what happened, but this guy was so script bound. He just kept going with his jokes, like nothing had happened and completely disconnected himself from the audience. We were like, well, this, you know, and that's it. Like you want to be adaptable to real people. There's stuff you can't plan for. So a certain amount of expectations for spontaneity and adaptation are absolutely critical to the best presentations. I would say like, you want to get an A in the preparation, but the moment you get up in front of people or you're sitting with them, let go, know that you've done the preparation and don't try to get an A because perfect is robotic and lacking in emotion and that human element that's utterly critical to do this well. That makes a lot of sense. So to the accounting and finance professionals listening to this, where we are told and we are using our brains maybe in a way that is robotic, that is not so adaptable because there's like a right answer and a wrong answer frequently. Yeah. And we are very in, ingrained and entrenched in day-to-day detail. How yeah. do I help my team or how do any of accounting and finance professionals that may be listening to this, like, how do we do this? We, how do we take these financial statements that we present, that we prepare that we understand the nitty gritty. And I can tell you, you know, where every dollar spent on travel went. And I can really get into intimate, fine details. How do I take that and my 20 pages of financial statements and present to a board of directors that typically there's frequently not a finance or accounting professional in the room. I have social workers, I have pastors, I have um, non-business professionals sitting there. How do we all get on the same page? Yeah, there's two there's two things with this we run through in pretty much every one of our workshops on presentation skills. The first is I run through an exercise where I have people in pairs. I have a one person explain to the other what an iPhone is to the other person, <laughs> but I say the other person is from the 1500s. They've never heard of words like the internet or electricity or you know, if they say information, you got to say what's that? And you have to explain what an iPhone is to someone from the 1500s. It is hilarious. It's it's always fun. And it's illuminating uh, as these people struggle to go from their frame of reference, all their jargon, all their words to, wait a minute, I'm going to start with you. Okay. Uh, you know, hey, you know, you know how the pigeons sometimes carry a message across the sky to people in the other village? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. You know, and all of a sudden you see they're starting from their audience. They're starting from their audience and they're working back to their message. The exercise forces them to do that. Otherwise, they won't get complex information across. It's the same with financial statements, cash flow statements, balance statements, yep. and whatever it is you're explaining, same thing. Where are they at, right? Go to their context first and work backward to where you're at. What are their needs? What's in it for them? How do they talk? What's their language? You want to go there and work backwards. And one of the, the second exercise I do that, that really underscores it, and some people call this the curse of knowledge. We are all cursed by the knowledge that we have. We, it's really weird. It's strange. You should be educated. You should get as much yeah. knowledge as possible. But the pitfall of that is the more you know about any one thing, the harder it is to explain it to people, right? If you're a yes. brilliant financial guru, you forget what it's like to, you know, you're using a word like ledger with accounting or right? people might not know what that means, right? So, or depreciation or accruals yeah. or whatever it is, right? And so um, another little exercise we do off of this, and this really gets to, here's the main way to break through this. I have people switch it up in the pairs and I say, I want you to talk about two things you're really interested in. And the other person is the least interested person in the world in what you have to say, right? Awesome. And I pull out your iPhone 
ignore them. What They really have to earn your attention for the things that you're interested in. And these are fascinating. This is a fascinating exercise to watch because you see people struggle. They see they're not getting interest. And then suddenly they start getting eye contact with the other person. They start asking them questions. They start saying, you know, what's really important to me. And what they say from there forward has emphasis. It means something. And so there's this concept. It comes from a book called Made to Stick uh, by Heath and Heath called Forced Prioritization or Getting to the Core. And this is Mm -hmm. by far the most important thing for I would say financial professionals, anybody in technical fields, science to use to get across complex information to people. I'll give you an analogy here. So let's say you're on slide 17 of a PowerPoint and you've got six bullet points there. Yep. Someone who's using force prioritization is looking at that going, what is this really saying to people? What's important, right? Because when you have bullet points, what it says to people is all six pieces of these information are created equal. And it never is, right? PowerPoint makes us lazy. Bullet pointing makes us lazy. It makes us lazy from doing that work that needs done of going, okay, uh, slide five. You know what? Points four and five are actually one point. And point number six is the main idea of this slide. Okay, let's make that the main idea. They force themselves to prioritize and tell audiences what it is that's important and get rid of the rest, right? So you've got 20 things to say, say two. That's the benefit for audiences. Audiences go, oh, we can see you've done the work of sifting what should be in from what should be out. You've done that work. So it's worth listening to what you have to say versus those presentations that are basically like, well, here's a giant handout you could read. I'm going to present that at you. And they haven't done the work of forced prioritization, getting to the core. It's not dumbing information down. This is absolutely critical. Not dumbing down. It is getting to the key essential messages that people really need to know. So in your field, let me give you an example. Like you're showing a financial statement Mm -hmm. or you're showing uh, in budgeting, you're showing a big Excel document. What you want to do is go, hey, look what I've highlighted in red. There's two numbers here. See that number from quarter three and that number from quarter four. Those are the essential things I want you to hone in on. With my professional lens on this. I want you to see that's what's important. People go, okay, thanks for helping us make sense of this. Because if you just present it all, we don't know where to go. It's completely overwhelming. And that's, I love that. And I love this concept that you said, this word sifting, Um, because yes, we have 20 pages of financial statements or super detailed Excel documents. And what we've started doing is we've been putting together some, a very succinct executive summary and then saying, you know, with like five charts, like here's, you know, the thousands of data points, but these are the five things you board of directors, if you're going to take nothing else away from this, this is what you need to know. And I think that's the point. Yeah. There's paintings. I love it from the middle ages. I don't know if you've ever been, you've been museums in Europe yep. or studying where these paintings were every conceivable amount of space is filled with something, right? Have you ever yep. seen, like medieval paintings yep. and you go, and the eye doesn't know where to go. You look at you like, mm-hmm. what, what am I, right? And some people call this the fear of empty space, right? Mm-hmm. It's the idea of, well, we got all these things to say, all this visual information to communicate, but we're not going to tell you what's important, right? We're not going to have some empty space or, you know, that basically directs the eye to what's meaningful. And it's the yeah. same thing with any kind of information, whether numbers or language, you don't want to fear empty space. That's interesting. And, you know, listening to you now, it's almost... It does. It makes sense that the exercise really is all in the planning and preparation. Because once you figured out what those few key points are, presenting it, I would I would argue, almost becomes easy. Yeah. I almost wonder if the hard part is the preparation. And I'm thinking about my own team. 
And just in general, like I'm a business owner, so I understand what other business owners are looking for in the financials. But those that are not in my shoes or in the shoes of others, I would think that the preparation component would be very challenging. And and how do I, I don't know. I don't know what they're looking for. I don't know what's important. All of this is important. Like, how do I sift to use your word? It's tricky. I think it's 90% in the preparation. Yeah. It is. Once you've prepared well and you've prepared in a way where you've created variety too, you're not just giving people an onslaught of numbers. You're mm-hmm. mixing up with a photo of, I don't know, maybe your kids or your your camping trip last year or something meaningful yeah. and scenic and you know, switching from that to uh, hey, everybody, I want you to do something really quick. Put up your hand if this applies to you. Getting the audience active is really big. And you know, you want your data, you want those types of things, but you want contextual information. You want to switch up the types and the modes of information that you're giving to okay. the death of a, of a speech or a presentation is just number after number after number, right? Without yeah. any of those other moves to create variation because the human mind, every, you know, I don't know how it actually breaks down. There's probably some specific number that keeps changing, but the human mind goes, you know, probably every minute or so, uh, why am I watching this? Why am I listening to this? Oh yeah. There's this new thing happening, right? Even if Hey, look at shiny thing over here. Oh, great. Like my attention's that way. My attention's this way. People want to feel on their toes because people process information much faster than speakers deliver information. So there's another way we're in two time zones as well. When you get up, you want to keep the pace going, but you don't want to go too slow uh, or people will fill in that space in their minds with any number of things. Are there ways to bring, or do you suggest bringing, I'm just going to use my board of directors example, as I sat in on a board of directors meeting last night, where half of the board was together, then the other half was on Zoom. I was calling in in Zoom. It was like a very overwhelming experience for me, honestly. And I didn't know, I just tried to keep it short and succinct and just like make the points that everybody I thought would listen to. And I kept it to like five to 10 minutes. And I thought that was really just the way to handle it. But I'm just thinking if I had more time or if I was expected to present additional information, I don't think anyone wants to listen. I mean, we all like to hear the sound of our own voices. I mean, I know I do. I love to hear myself talk, which is probably not the best thing, but I have a um, podcast. (laughs) Exactly. So I must love to hear myself talk, but I'm thinking, are there ways or should we be thinking of ways to engage, you know, in my example, like a board of directors, is there like, should we be trying to pull people and make it more conversational versus like, here's a whole bunch of data, like good luck to you, or here are the five things you need to know. Good luck. Like, What's the balance? I always struggle with that. Yeah, it's it's tough. You you definitely want that part where you're letting go and you're being with people and you're reading what's happening on Zoom and in person. You want to see what's the body language. Do the people yeah. are they are they checking out a little bit? This seems like a bit much. Maybe that's time to ask a question, okay. engage the audience in some way, get them to do something with the information, check in on the pulse. How are we feeling about this right now? Or ask a question like, what does this information raise for you in your work or right the minute it's it's applicable to people in their situations the challenges the pain points they face they're going to be activated you know they want to, everybody's wandering around the world looking for what do i need to know what do i not need to know what's relevant to me the more you can do that in the moment sometimes the more helpful and by the way the the situation you described i think is one of the most challenging of all right now which is high flex so mm-hmm. it's you're both hybrid, you're online in person. That is really hard because you are, you know, I think about this, it's like a presidential town hall debate where, you know, the, they're, they're speaking to an audience and then they're looking at the camera and going back and forth. That's really tough. Yeah. So those folks online, as much as you could have maybe a second person helping you out, 
facilitate things, okay. putting things in the chat box, please answer this, going to the people in Zoom at the beginning to make sure they understand this is going to be interactive. Hey, uh, everybody hit the thumbs up or the clap button, if depending on your answer to this question, right? If you do that right from the outset and people go, oh, this is going to be interactive, you'll have more engagement along the way. It's when people... You know, you set the frame, you set the tone for whatever's about to happen. And if it's just, I'm talking at you, I'm talking at you, people go, okay, I can turn my camera off. Uh, you know, it's going to be okay. I'll just kind of check out. So I think speakers really sometimes they don't know how much power they have to define what's going to happen yep. in the situation. And the first few minutes are really critical for setting that tone, that frame for whatever occurs after. That makes a lot of sense. Let me ask you this. I so I'm the CFO. I'm the outsourced CFO for a lot of organizations that that we work with and that's really just our role. And I think the hardest thing that I have to do or that we have to do is deliver bad news. And I'm delivering bad news to a board of directors and it's my fiduciary responsibility to tell it straight. Yeah. But I also work for the executive director and yeah. this may or may not put that individual in a tricky spot and, or they may want me to frame things in a different way. Yeah. And that's a situation that we're frequently in and it's, it's challenging. And so in that scenario, like, what do I do? What's the most effective way to deliver bad news? Maybe. I think first of all, have pre-conversations. So Mm -hmm. this is where, and this really just gets into, I think, leadership and management communication, which is to say meetings are one size fits all forms of communication and therefore often not very adaptive to the people in the room, right? What you're better off doing is having the meeting build on a series of one-to-one dialogues beforehand, because, you know, I work in New York city, get this question all the time. How do you adapt to, you know, one of the most diverse regions on the planet and say, you can only do it one person at a time. That's the way to do it because you don't know all that person's nuances and what they're thinking and their feeling and their emotions and their loyalties, that's better worked out beforehand. So you might go to the ED beforehand and say, there's some difficult news that needs delivered and yeah. it's part of fiduciary responsibility. Here it is. I, I didn't want people to be blindsided by this, but I did want to consult with you and see how you're feeling about this and see if there's a way in which I can present this that would be a, maybe accurate or whatever the whatever kind of criterion you want to apply. And have maybe one of the board members talking to, I have to roll this out. What's your perspective, right? And so what you can do in those conversations, you can begin with, well, everybody know I talked with Ed, I talked with Karen, I talked, right. And we were having conversations about this very difficult part of our job right now, right? And people go, oh, okay, this is about us. It's not, we are getting bad news delivered at us, right? Right. So I think people understand you can't just have positive things happen all the time yep. in life. Big part of life, our stories is just yays and boos. There's yep. yay moments and there's boos, and that's what makes stories stories. It's the same thing with an organization's setting those expectations. And I, I like that better, frankly, than the, you know, you often hear the sandwich method, say something really positive first and right. That's my favorite. Think, yeah. Is it? It's maybe not great, but that's, that's what I was trained to do. I mean, it can, I think it can work well. It can be, you know, here's constructive things, but I think people more than ever have a sense yeah. sometimes that there's a setup for that. Yeah. We're saying these positive things so we can get to the negative. So come on, get to the negative. Right. I see that a lot. 
So if I'm hearing you correctly, then you're saying to make it collaborative. So make it less of a, this is what's happening and almost less serious and more, hey, I spoke to this person. I spoke to that person. This is the challenge we're facing. These are some of the solutions we've come up with to address this. What do you all think? That's exactly it. And what what I'm saying here isn't just opinion, by the way. Um, Mm -hmm. The research on this is so routinely broken in practice. It's unbelievable. There's a real disconnect between the world of research and practice on this kind of issue. Give you an example. Paul Nutt had a study of 400 organizations over 20 years, and he analyzed in change management, bad news, you know, things like that need to deliver some changes needed to happen. What leaders did in these organizations, and he tracked how effective their methods were. So by far the most common methods of delivering bad news were by edict, I'm just going to tell you what's going to happen now or persuasion. I'm going to build a case to persuade you. And that took place in the context of meetings. They were by the least effective of just about any methods. What did work and what took shorter time to implement and got, you know, 90 to hundred percent buy-in was what I just mentioned, really working collaboratively, putting things out to the group, asking them questions, getting feedback, even sometimes going, what, if you were me right now, you, here's the information what would you do? And then they got ownership of it. Right. And then if they give you ideas and you do that, well, that was their ideas. So, you know, they can't really go against their own ideas. That's an interesting point. And that the word that's coming into my mind right now is vulnerability. I think as a leader or really just as a human, I think it's hard for us to be vulnerable. And it's like, you don't want to show that And I know I struggle with this sometimes. It's like, well, I don't want to say that because then it shows that I don't know what I'm doing. But I'm lately, and I'll just use parenting as an example. My, I have a son who's 12 turning 13 and I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I don't even know. I don't know what I'm doing. And I will just actually say that to him now on a daily basis. Like, I'm really sorry. I'm doing my best. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) And so- does that trade? I mean, I'm, I'm starting to maybe see that that can translate. And the more vulnerable you are in situations and just saying like, hey, I this is the situation. I'm actually not quite sure how to solve it. I have some thoughts. Let's talk about it. I think it's tricky for people, myself included, to do. But I think that also makes you to your opening statements more relatable, more personable. And everybody, maybe people start listening more because you're not trying to sell anybody anything. You're just being real. I love that. And there, there's tons of research on vulnerability, too, that that just is... Uh, People think they have to hold back from parts of themselves, the hardships, right? I've heard Andy Goodman say, we all want to tell the story of we came, we saw, we conquered, you know, and if that's your yeah. communication, if that's it, hey, our organization's so great, what we do, we came, we saw, we conquered, it's going to be hard for people to identify with that, right? Yeah. Versus, ooh, here's the difficult parts of what we're going through, right? The way he puts it is, there's no Superman without kryptonite. Right. There has to be that area where you're going, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Help or, you know, the the real human stuff of just not knowing and saying that. I think that's so important uh, just to let your guard down a bit. Talk about your hardships, what's been difficult. And that's when people start to go, oh, okay, here's a human being. Right. I've I've had hardships, too. Right. Uh, Somebody who comes along during, you know, this pandemic season says, I have a real mental, I've had some mental breakdowns through having kids at home and right. Just, uh, I I'm struggling everyone. I have to let you know. And people go, Hey, I'm struggling too. Yeah. We're all struggling. It's been yeah. really, really hard. Now, yeah. are you ready to listen to what I have to say? Yes. Way more so than if it's all gloss and mystification, you know? And then to the point that you were just along these lines and to the point that you were making before about the stand-up comedian and the, the bartender or whomever who dropped the glass and the comedian, not 
pausing and recognizing what was going on in the room. I mean, I had kind of a relatable situation. I guess it was about a year ago during the pandemic. I was presenting to a board of directors. I was in Florida with my children at my parents' house. And I had like a suit jacket on and like a bathing suit on on the bottom. Something like all hell broke loose in my parents' house. My kids busted in. There's 40 people on the Zoom. I am delivering bad news. My computer crashes. I'm standing. It was the most horrifying experience Mm. of my life. And I ultimately wind up like standing on a Zoom call, like in my bathing suit. And I just kind of sat down and I was like, I am really sorry. But I couldn't (laughs) read the room. And I, it's so uncomfortable. And I don't know what to do. And I wouldn't even know. I don't know. Like, and, And these kinds of things happen all the time. And especially on Zoom with kids being home and what have you. So like, like, what do you do? Like, what do you do when all hell breaks loose? Well, there's a phrase that, Del Close, an an improv guru, improv theater, improv comedy. He used to train actors. Uh, He had a phrase called follow the fear, which I love, (laughs) which is the moment where you're sensing fear in a situation like that. Know that the audience is too. And the more you go, you know what? I'm just going to step into that. I'm going to put my foot forward. I'm going to put one foot forward into that. The more electrifying the experience, like the more on our toes we get, we go, oh my gosh, that could have been me, you know, and you just make a joke about it. Right. I know a public speaker who he had was drinking water during his present. He got a glass of water and it all fell down you know, yep. his chest, yep. and, you know, and he like made light of it and went, OK, all right, I guess uh, I'm going to need an umbrella, you know, just kind of lighthearted. And everybody loved it because if he had reacted to that weird, chaotic thing that happened, you know, as if it was the sinking of the Titanic, then the audience has to feel that way. You yep. here's the thing. You tell people how to feel about what's happening, right? I say to the speakers, if you walk into an audience and it's all, let's say an all CFOs audience, yeah. right? And they've all got their arms crossed and they're sitting back and you know, you got the look on their face, like, I don't wanna be here. And you come in and you're very excited about what it is that you want to say. And you look at them and all of a sudden you go, okay, uh, today I have an incredible thing. Oh, you know what? All right, folks, here we go. And you are set, you end up being set by the tone that they're yep. setting you have lost, right? What you want to do is overcome that. That doesn't mean bouncing off the walls with crazy energy. It just means coming in and trying to raise the tone beyond what's present in the situation. You set the tone. That's the that's the power that you have in amidst the chaos. So own it, own it, step into yep. it. No, you know, playfulness never hurts. I say playfulness is probably the one thing that will most get you out of any situation is just go up, oh, you know, this is human, have a playful attitude about it. And, and I think that always helps. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and it leads me to my next question, which is I had a couple of my colleagues on the call that day and they both, and they're fearful of public speaking. And mm. I think that's a pretty common thing. And their takeaway after that call was, I am never doing this, Amy. You have to do this all the time because if yes. that were me, that yeah. this was horrifying. So yep. how do you get over a fear of public speaking and how, how do you rise above? This is by far the biggest question I get, right? Every, everywhere sure. I've done this 20 years and everybody wants to know, how do I get rid of fear? It's funny, when I started doing this, I used to go with the old school of thought, which was, I would say, here's 20 different techniques to try. <laughs> People like yeah. have rubber bands on your hands and you know do this before you get up to speak. And for listeners here, it's you know stretch your fingers out with the rubber yep. bands to get rid of tension or go for a jog the day before. And I, I think a lot of those things can really help anything that gets you you know prepped to speak. But here's the biggest one. And I've, I've realized, you know, if you have say, we're not gonna do all these things, and this is me 
doing that getting to the core technique we talked about earlier. I'm not mm-hmm. going to give you 20 things. Here's one. This is the important one. The number one reason people have fear is from self-focus. It's mm-hmm. the moment you get up and all of a sudden you're in your head and you're going, what are they thinking? What's going on? Or you're in your material so much. You're going, okay, you're looking at your notes and shuffling around or you're reading something. In all of those cases, you are focused this way in your direction and not outward at the audience, right? Yeah. What you want to do to get over fear is focus so much outward. So focus on the audience, focus maybe up at your slides, get the focus outside of yourself as much as possible to reduce the fear in yourself. There's an old improv exercise used for this, just to make this real for folks. Have four people come up and I have an audience there and I say, all we're going to do is stare at these people for about a minute. Okay. And then the four people (laughs) like, and I said, the four of you standing up, I want you to do nothing, do zero. Don't make a joke. Just stand there. That's it. We're going to stare at you. Right. So this happens. We stare at them and you can see it right. They're all like standing there and get a little nervous. Little ticks come out. Uh, People don't know what to do. Right. And then we go, okay, stop round two, count every object in this room. You four people standing up, count every object in this room. And I say, we're still going to stare at you. You see, oh, the expression, they, they go, okay. And they start pointing at things and counting and they're relaxed because they have a job to do. They have something to do. Right. And we talk about the two rounds. They were like first round, very nervous. It's because the focus was up in this direction. You started thinking about yourself. You weren't focused on the audience or what's happening outside of you. Second round, they're like, yeah, I had to completely dial down any potential for judgment to creep into my head because I was so busy doing things. Right. Wow. So yep. the more focused you are outward on the audience, interacting with them, making sure, looking at them, responding to them, even if it's non-verbally, even if it's rhetorical questions. And your passion for your content, you might have it in the form of notes or up on a slide. The more outward focus you have, you cannot get fearful in that circumstance. It's really hard. You're just dialing down that potential for judgment and fear to enter up into your headspace. How can we help train? A big part of what we do is so we will present financial statements to a board or to whomever. But a lot of times the information maybe is best delivered by our clients themselves, which would be the executive director or the chief operating officer or someone internally. So a lot of times we are effectively guiding the executive team to present. And I actually find that almost harder than training my own team because at least my team, we're all accountants, we're financial people. So we know, we kind of, we understand the ins and outs but how do we train someone else to do this that doesn't and shouldn't understand the ins and outs of all of this? Do you have any tips? Well, I mean, first of all, it is a little bit of a shameless plug, but hire me or hire uh, even <laughs> yeah. another organization. I, yes. I don't mind. It's fine. But uh, getting getting help from professionals is really critical. Even if okay. it's a cohort of three, four people, taking them through a half day training, getting them on board with like the basic A to Z process and concepts for doing this, I would say is, yeah. is really critical. You can use the help of a professional. Short of that, though, I know sometimes budgets come into play, mm-hmm. timing, right? And so first of all, yeah, force prioritization, going what's really important, sitting with them, going through what do people really need to know? What what would be curse of knowledge here? What terms are you using that could potentially confuse the audience, right? Really helping them with the preparation, right? A sit down on let's structure this out, get some good structure going, looking at that structure and then going, is it all communicated in the same way? Is it all just numbers, 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 or are we mixing it up? Do you start, are you starting with context, 
right? Give us a, give us a story or bring us into some slides with a scene that makes this meaningful, right? Last year, here's uh, John, one of our folks in sales or one of our chief fundraisers for nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And he was out talking to a client and he thought that, uh, or, or a donor, and he thought that, you know, this person will never give. And then he just was in the room and looked at a picture of someone's kids and so he started talking about kids. And the next thing he knew he had a million dollars. I raised this because this line item in the budget here yep. is not just a number. It signifies a scene, a meaning. I'm going to build some context that makes you want to have an appetite for these numbers. I think that's really huge. And then afterwards, you know, you go to other things. To summarize here, Amy, it's work on the content. There's ways to make the content itself electrifying just through kind of some of the techniques I just talked about. Work on the structure, what's first, what's last. What's first and last tend to be the most memorable to people. So you really want to make an impact at the outset and at the end. No, thank you. Any questions or, you know, hi, my name's Sarah. And I have today I'm going to tell you about three things. Boring, right? sweep in, make some impact at the front and the back end. And then you can work on visuals and you can work on delivery. And I kind of see these in a pyramid shape, right? Each of these layers builds on the others and getting good visuals is its whole own thing and delivery as well, right? Delivery, I, I primarily concentrate on what we just talked about, about reducing fear, having an outward focus, helping them manipulate their energy levels a little bit. It's important to do that. Don't come into the room at the same energy level you're feeling, push it up to show it's important. That's really, that's really true. Thank you. I think this has been great, Dom. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, Great conversation. Thank you for listening to The Balance. I'm your host, Amy Carson. You can learn more about our company, Brand K Partners, and what we do at brandkpartners.com. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, and this episode was produced by David Hoffman, post-production by Garrett Tiedemann, and production managed by Gabriella Montekin. If you like the show, never miss an episode by subscribing on all your favorite podcast apps, and please leave a rating and a review. See you next time.